Okay, so the passage today is going to be from Mark 1, verses 14 through 45. I'm only going to read through 28, because Philip probably th- doesn't think I can read the whole thing. So. Um, so I'll be reading through 28. So if you would, this is out of the ESV. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, they saw James, son of Zebedee, and, his, John, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went on to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he, thought, he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Amen. I didn't know you were going to read that good. I could have just done the whole thing. That's great. Thank you, BJ. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, it's a blessing uh, to come to your word today and to see Jesus. God, what a blessing it is that you sent your son and he came in such a way that he just blows us away. And so, God, we pray that uh, even with just an ounce of the same power and majesty and glory uh, that we just heard, that, we would, that that would land on us. We would hear that in our own hearts today in such a way that like these first disciples, we'd drop everything and we'd follow you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I wonder if you can remember to a time, maybe recently or maybe it's been a little while, uh, where you had to go through some kind of application process. Maybe that was for a job or to uh, school or to college or, or something like that where, where you had to, to pull together uh, a certain amount of information and present yourself in such a way that you were applying for this position. Uh, it can be a very stressful process. Uh, I can remember trying to, to pull together a resume. I remember the first few times it was like, well, I haven't done anything. I mean, what, what do you want me to put here? And then, you know, as you go on, you're like, how am I supposed to make, you know, my whole life fit on one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and how somehow that's going to make myself look good enough, you know, for this job? You know, the whole resume thing just feels stressful. And then there's the interview process, right? You, you know that you're, you're, you're going to go and have this interview, so maybe you're thinking ahead of time about some of the questions that, that you're going to face. Maybe it's a a manager or a human resources person or, or some kind of supervisor or, or you know, a college admissions person you're going to be sitting down with. What kind of questions might they ask and what's going to be important and what, what's the right way to answer the question? You don't want to be you know, too proud, you know, but you've got to talk about how you're qualified and how you're, you're good enough for this position. The interview day comes and you've got to get dressed up just the right way and you don't want to overdress and you know, come across like you're fake, or, but you've got to be dressed for the part. and All those kind of things go into thinking about this application process. Maybe there's a, a background check or 
uh, drug tests or all these different hoops you got to jump through so that you can be the person for this right next position. And you're, you're applying for that job or to get in that school because you think this, this is going to make life better, isn't it? Well, this job is maybe it's a little bit more money or, or this is going to open up some, some doors down the road. And, it, and if I just get this, it'll make life better. And what's hard is that essentially what you're doing, even though this isn't true, this is what it feels like. It feels like what you're doing is you're looking to this boss or supervisor or representative, whoever, and, and you're trying to convince them, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. That this person has the authority to say whether or not you are good enough and you're, you can become one of them. You can come into their, their school, their job, their career. You, you can work for them. You can be like me. That's, that's what you're trying to do as you're applying. And it can feel like it's a part of our identity. We're trying to figure out, do I measure up? Am I good enough? In the ancient world, in Bible days, there were prophets and teachers, rabbis, and many times they, they would, a uh, very different process, of course, but they would have sort of an application process for people who would come to them and want to follow them, want to be one of their disciples. There's no resumes on pieces of paper, nobody dressed in a suit and tie, but I imagine there was some kind of application process, or I imagine all the, I don't know what the pieces are, but there was an application process to become one of the followers or, or, or one of the group, a part of these uh, scribes or prophets or teachers, different people in different ways. So I imagine there were some questions and, and you had to think through what you were going to say and you had to make sure you were interpreting things just the right way to, to be a part of this group. I imagine there was some, some stress over making sure you, you knew the right things and did the right things and did exactly what it was so that you could measure up and that this famous teacher or this leader you respected would, would let you come into their group. Well, there was this one day about... 2,000 years ago or so, where there was a, a different kind of teacher. And he was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, passing alongside the sea, and he saw a couple of fishermen hard at work. And here's the odd thing that happened after that. He called out to them and extended an invitation that they could follow him. It wasn't an invitation that was extended to the most highly qualified. It wasn't to the best of the applicants because they didn't apply. Nobody applied. It wasn't that he had any kind of interviews. These weren't the best and the brightest and the smartest. They, they just were doing their job. And yet a rabbi comes up, a teacher, somebody whose reputation is already starting to grow, and he invites them to be one of his disciples. That different kind of teacher, his name of course was Jesus. And he called out to two disciples, the first two being Simon Peter and Andrew, and he said, follow me. And immediately those guys dropped their nets and followed him. You see, for the first time, the application process for becoming one of the disciples of this rabbi wasn't about their merit it wasn't about whether they measured up. It wasn't about whether they were good enough. It was purely based on grace. Grace and nothing else. This morning, I want you to know that in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be one of His followers, to be a Christian, 
It's not about being good enough. It's not about measuring up. It's not about whether you've got what it takes. It's just about grace. That and that alone. This morning, I want you to know that just like for Simon Peter and Andrew, Jesus calls. Jesus calls. In a, in a dog-eat-dog world where everybody's trying to climb up the ladder and everybody's trying to be the next best thing and everybody's trying to get ahead, Jesus offers something called good news. He calls us and gives us some good news. That's what it means in verse 14 when it says Jesus came into this region and He started proclaiming the gospel. Good news. In verse 15 it says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This good news. Jesus is calling and sending out this message and it's a message of good news. Not a message of are you good enough? Not a, 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 an essay question you've got to respond to. It's news. It's information. One pastor, Tim Keller, wrote, In the ancient world, a gospel was news of an event that changed things in a meaningful way. It could be somebody who ascended to the throne or to somebody who won a victory. He goes on to describe a, a time in the ancient world where, where one uh, empire, the Persians, they were trying to take over another country, Greece. And they talked of a time, he said, the Greeks, they, they, they defeated these Persians. The Persians were about to come and make everybody a slave. Take them all over. But the Greeks won. And so to celebrate what the Greeks did is they sent messengers all throughout the kingdom, all throughout their land. He says they were heralds or evangelists who proclaimed the good news to the towns and the cities. And the news was this, we have fought for you, we have won, and you are no longer slaves. You are free. That is a gospel message, a good news proclamation. Announcing something in history that has happened and how that influences your life and how it changes everything. Jesus was preaching to these disciples and it was the opposite of a job application process. It was not whether or not you are good enough whether or not you have done enough, the proclamation of good news was what Jesus has done is enough. What Jesus has already accomplished, that's what matters. And He was good enough. Every other religion in the world has some form or fashion of you measuring up. You keeping the, the commandments. You doing enough to measure up to be good enough to make it into some form of their paradise. And there are even false, weak, misleading, and untrue versions of a Christian gospel that is proclaimed, hey, read your Bible, do enough good things, and when you get to the end, you'll be counted as good enough if your good deeds outweigh others. And that's not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. It would not be good news if you and I had to measure up in the end. Because we wouldn't do it. We would not do it. Simon Peter and Andrew, they were not called that day on the Sea of Galilee because they were good enough. They were called because it was God's choice. It was just grace. It was just grace. That's the only way anybody ever becomes a Christian. It's just by grace when Jesus calls. We can't earn it. We can only hear Jesus say, follow me. And then like the fishermen did, 
respond. Every single person has to become a Christian that way. Not by earning it, but just by grace. Maybe you're here and you thought, you know, I, I'm not really good enough uh, to be a Christian. Uh, I, I got to get my act cleaned up. There's some things in my life that I need to get turned around. And then, then, I, I'm, I'll, I'll consider this Jesus thing. <laughs> but if you and I had to do anything first before we became a Christian, it wouldn't be grace. If you had to do something in order to be good enough, you'd be working for it. You'd be earning it. It would be a wage. But it's not a wage. Your faith is a gift. It is by grace. That's the first thing I want you to hear today is that Jesus calls, and it's a calling of pure, unadulterated grace. And that's what I want you to hear today. And I pray that as you hear that, you'll want to respond. If you're one of those first two fishermen, in some sense, I mean, how could you not follow this guy, right? I mean, they knew the process. Jesus' reputation maybe had already begun to spread. We don't, Mark is, is super fast. We'll see this. But we, we don't know what all had happened. But this guy calls, and it's just super gracious. So, of course, in some sense, they're going to follow, right? But at the same time, like they should have been, we should be aware of the cost, right? This was incredibly gracious. They did nothing to earn it. It cost them nothing to be called by Jesus. But responding cost us everything. Everything. Jesus calls, and when He does, here's what I want you to hear. Drop everything to follow Jesus. Drop everything to follow Jesus. Notice in Jesus' first message in verse 15, He used the same word that we mentioned last week that John the Baptist says when he starts showing up and, and gets people ready for Jesus. He was pre preaching and, and practicing a form of baptism about repentance. And so it is here in Jesus. When He shows up and He begins preaching, He says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, Jesus calls us to Himself and invites us to follow Him. We don't have to clean up our act to, to come to Jesus. Right? There's nothing you got to do to come to Him. It's all grace. You don't have to clean yourself up. That's Jesus' job. He does that. He does the cleaning. It's been said many times. You, you, Jesus calls, him, calls you to Himself just like you are. But He loves you way too much to leave you that way. You don't have to clean yourself up on the front end. Jesus does once you come to know Him. If you don't know Jesus and you come to know Him, He will begin to work in your heart and lead you to a new way of living. Repentance is to turn from that old way and to turn to Jesus. Repentance is literally to turn, so to stop going one direction and start going another. And so we leave behind an old way, not because we've, uh, we're trying to earn Jesus' favor. We've already got it. Jesus is calling. But when we follow Him, it's with everything. We're leaving behind an old way of life. If you already know Jesus, are, are you... You, you may remember a time of turning away, but I wonder if you're honest about your own life. Are you still practicing that repentance? You know, maybe you had a time in your life where you, you dropped everything. You, you let go of some past sins. But those fingers, they're, they're kind of sticky, aren't they? And you just, you want to pick back up that old way sometimes. To be a Christian is to repent, to turn away, to drop our sin, to turn away, repent from it. But it's also to continue to repent to continue to leave and to choose, the old, choose against that old way 
of living. To repent and to follow Him, that means leaving behind some sin. But there's also something interesting about these first disciples. Because they didn't just leave the bad, did they? They also left some things that weren't really bad. They just were. Maybe even they were good things. I want you to hear how these first disciples responded, how they followed. There's two sets of brothers we're going to meet here. And both times they illustrate different things that we need to drop if we're going to follow Jesus like true disciples. Verse 18, it says, speaking of Simon and Andrew, it says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. I mean, can you picture this? Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. Simon and Andrew are out there fishing. They're throwing the nets, throwing the nets. This is their livelihood, right? This is how they make money. This is how they feed their families. And they just drop the nets and follow him. When Jesus calls, he calls us to drop down and let go of our personal ambitions, the things that our hearts previously desired more than anything else. These guys, this was their job. This is what they spent their time doing, and they're willing to let even that go. It's not a bad thing. Fishing was not a sin. It was a good thing. And yet they were willing to put Jesus above everything, even their personal ambitions. One of the primary things I think that holds us back, yes, sin holds us back from following Jesus, but there's also some times where it's just our everyday lives that keep us from following Jesus because we let other things become priorities that compete with Jesus. We say, I would spend time with the Lord. I would share my faith. I I would follow Him and, and live like I should, but I'm just too busy. I have too much going on. Drop it. Drop your net. Let it go. Find a way to just let it go without sticky fingers. Let it go. It is so challenging for us to read Simon and Andrew. We we want to read Simon and Andrew had this terrible habit and they dropped it and they followed Jesus. Simon and Andrew were just horrible people and they dropped it and they followed Jesus. We don't read that. We just read they were fishermen and they dropped their nets. It'd be a lot easier for me to say, I'll just, I'll just leave behind this bad habit than it is for me to drop just everyday life and try to put Jesus above that thing. They're, they're making it clear there are good things we can do, and that's good. God calls us to do all kinds of good things. But we have to make sure Jesus is the best thing in our life. Not everyone has to quit their job and they start following Jesus, but every single person has to get a new priority if they're going to follow Jesus. And that means we have to drop the nets and follow Him. Verse 19 and 20 get, I think, even a little deeper, even a little more challenging. Listen to what the next disciples have to leave behind. Verse 19 and 20, and going a little further, he, Jesus, saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending nets. So again, two fishermen. And immediately he, Jesus, called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. James and John, they too dropped their nets. But they don't just leave their nets. They leave their dad. He's still sitting in the boat. Like I just picture Zebedee standing there kind of holding the net like, uh, all right, guys, you know. No, I'm sure he was happy. I'm sure he was excited, you know, whatever. But can you just imagine that? This is a a whole nother level, isn't it? It's not just 
the, 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 their uh, aspirations. It's not just the things that they want to do, not just their ambitions. James and John, they left their affections. They left their family to follow Jesus. It's not just our careers that get in the way. Sometimes it's, it's things that are close to our heart, good things, but things that we let become the best thing in our heart. To follow Jesus means Jesus is first above everything. There is no competition. Jesus is first above all. He changes our ambitions and He changes our affections. He changes what our heart wants more than anything. Following Jesus means we love Him more than we even love our family. Jesus reorders our priorities and He's first above all. And that means dropping. Dropping the priorities. Now, not everyone's going to have to leave their homes to follow Jesus or their parents. And in fact, it would be sinful if you divorce your spouse and say, see, I'm trying to drop my family to follow. That's not. Don't hear that. Don't hear that. But everybody is supposed to drop things in the right priority in their life. And here's what's actually true. It will be better for your family if you don't treat your spouse or your children like they're supposed to be your savior. That is their top priority in your life. They can't do it. They can't measure up to it. If you hold them to that standard, they will fail you. Jesus can handle that. He is your Savior. And when He's your Savior, you actually love your family better. Make Jesus the top priority. Following Jesus means dropping everything else into its rightful place. So today, to follow Jesus, what, what are you holding on to? Like, are, do you hear the call of Jesus and say, yes, I'm coming, Jesus. Let me just pull my net up the shore and we'll keep going, right? Like, what, what are you holding on to that you're saying, I'll go as long as I get to bring this? Maybe it's sin. Maybe there's some repentance that you need to put in your life that you need to say, God, I, I got to turn away from this habit, this lifestyle, this way of living. I need to let it go. Repent and follow him. But maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's a, something that's good. Like if you, you'd be perfectly fine saying, you know, this is what I'm doing in my life. It's, it's not a shameful thing. It's a good thing. But it's something you've made into an ultimate thing. A job, a family member, ambitions, affections. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go into its proper place, its proper priority. You've got to drop everything to follow Jesus. That's, that's what these first disciples show us about Jesus. It was all grace. This call was all grace. And yet that grace landed so deeply in their hearts to say, Jesus, I'll give it all. I'll drop everything to follow you. I, we don't know what all, you read different, different gospel accounts and you try to compare these stories and figure out what order these things happen in. The, the, the writers are trying to tell us a, a story about Jesus. They're not, but, so we don't know exactly what all happened before this moment, what all these four disciples know. But we know what happens right after it. And they're about to learn that that little, that, that, that wage they just had of like, okay, fish, Jesus, fish, Jesus. They got it right. They got it right. Because what you're going to see here is that this decision, following Jesus, absolutely worth it. Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following. And this, I think, is what Mark is trying to draw us into. He gives you these short accounts Jesus proclaiming the really short one-sentence sermon, right? Jesus giving a one-sentence invitation. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Him calling to one other group. This is all really short, really fast. But then some things happen, and you're like, oh, I, I want to be with that guy. 
I want to go with, that's what you'll, you'll, you'll notice Mark, he uses the word immediately. Depending on your translation, they'll pick different words. The ESV, you read it over, immediately, immediately, immediately. If Mark was turned into a movie, it would have to be the, an action film. Because it's like every scene is like bam, 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 bam. So fast. What he's trying to do is trying to draw you in. He wants you to see this Jesus for who he is. Listen to the what things that Jesus does. One key word shows up a couple times in this next passage. First time's in verse 22. It's the word authority. And you really could make that as a theme for, for all of Mark. But here's especially this section. Verse 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Jesus is worth following because he teaches with authority. I want to show you this authority in a few different places in these uh, few passages here. Jesus is unlike anyone else. He teaches with authority. Most of the people who would teach in that day, when they taught, they would say, according to Moses, this, or according to the teaching of Rabbi so-and-so, this. But Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't have to quote anybody else in order to be the authority. He just taught. Now, he taught from the scriptures, but his interpretation was the right one. He didn't need to back it up by so-and-so agrees with me, you know? Like when I, when I preach, I read the Bible and lots of other people because I have no authority, right? I'm dependent on the Word of God. This is my authority. Jesus is the Word of God. He just taught because He was unique, is unique in that way. He taught with His own original, original parables and stories, and it gave this sense to the people watching Him. They're like, we've never seen anything like this. We've heard teachers, but we've never heard a teacher like this. Jesus was teaching with authority. And when he taught on this occasion, he's there in Capernaum, teaching there in the synagogue. There's an, an opportunity that arises where they see his words and his deeds matching. Verse 23, it says, Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. These are demonic forces inside a man crying out to this Jesus, and they know who he is. I know that sounds very strange. Demonic forces in 2020, you're like, what? I, you know, that can be very confusing. But C.S. Lewis, I think, helps us when he, he pointed out in his, one of his books that when it comes to the evil demonic forces of the world, we make two mistakes. Either we think too much about them and give them too much power and we're obsessed with them, or we ignore them and act like that doesn't exist. So here, let's stick with what the Bible says, and here's what's really clear. C, for you, it says, He has authority over the evil. I know I skipped B. I sent it to Lori in the wrong order. So just today, C comes before B, okay? You can follow it on your outline there, all right? He has authority over evil. Jesus has authority over evil. He, so He's out there. He's teaching with authority. This demonic voice rises up, and Jesus defeats it. It says, verse 25 and 26, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, voice came out of him. This, this thing that was overwhelming somebody is powerless before Jesus. Jesus speaks, and it has to flee. The same one who spoke the world into existence speaks, and this demon flees. You and I, who know Jesus, have nothing to be afraid of. Because Jesus has all authority and all power over all forces of the world, including all evil forces. 
this group in the synagogue that day say, verse 27, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. It's like they're just jaws dropping. Like, what just happened? It's something we'll see again when we get to the end of chapter 4. Jesus' own disciples are out on a boat. And there's a storm. Jesus speaks. The wind stops. And they say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're in the presence of this man who is teaching like nobody's ever taught. And he is commanding demons and they flee from him. And they're saying, this, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. And he doesn't stop there. Point B, which was after C, like you're following, right? Okay. He has authority to heal, all right? Simon the fisherman, who we just met, his mother-in-law is sick. He lives right, right outside uh, the synagogue there. And his mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus comes, takes her by the hand, and she's healed. The fever leaves. So he's teaching with authority, sending out evil forces with authority. He walks into somebody who's sick. All he has to do is touch her hand, and she all of a sudden is better. And then Mark wants you to know these were not just like one-hit wonders, you know? You know, so those bands have that, like that one song, it's all they got, you know? That's not Jesus. These were not just one-time events. Verse 20, 32 uh, to 34, They brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick, with various diseases and cast out many demons. So it's like Mark gives us, here's one example of a story. Here's one example of a story. I don't have time for them all. There was a bunch of them. Like that's what Mark's saying. He just healed so many people, the whole town together. Everybody is showing up at this point. His fame is being spread all throughout Galilee. And they're saying, this, this is incredible. We have never seen anything like this. Many of them miss what's happening. But for us, we, we have the benefit of Mark has put it together for us. Do you remember how Jesus proclaimed the, the, the story, the, the beginning of his ministry? He said, repent, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God. Think back, this is, this is Jesus. Why is he doing the things that he's doing? Why is he teaching? Why is he overcoming evil? Why is he taking the sick and the lame? Why, why is he healing people. Well, he's showing that the Messiah has come. The Christ, the King, the one who spoke the world into perfect order, the one who made everything just right, has now come back to make everything right again. Before sin entered the world, there was no demonic forces. There were the ruling people like Adam and Eve. You know, Before the fall, they, they were with God. Before sin entered the world, there was no sickness, there was no pain, there was no sorrow. And so now you have the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and He's showing up. And once again, He is bringing shalom, peace, justice, well-being. He's making the world right again. It's more than just the individuals who are healed. He's saying the whole world is about to be better. He wants people to see he's the Messiah. He's the king. And the kingdom is here. And that makes the next thing he does really astounding. Verse 35, And rising very early the next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Huh? 
Doesn't, doesn't he know there's a crowd? Doesn't he know he's, he's got a following? He's, he's got authority. What, what else does he need? Why is he praying? He's done, he, he, he's the ruling. There's nothing, nobody's defeating him. What does he need to pray for? He's praying because, yes, he is the authority, but he is also under authority. He is under the authority of his father. That's D for you. He's under the authority of his father. This is a remarkably powerful display of the relationship between the father and the son. Jesus rose early in the morning before it was light to go and to spend a quiet moment, probably a long moment here because Peter has to go look for him. It takes a while. A long moment uninterrupted with his heavenly father. That's incredible. You know Jesus had to be exhausted from the night before. It says the crowd didn't come to him until it was dark. So this, the whole town shows up at dark. How long does it take to heal the whole town? I don't know. You know, maybe he could have done it just like that. But it seems like that probably took some time. And it didn't start till sundown. So he just spent all the last night casting out demons and healing people from sickness and ministering and you know, shepherding, all the things he does. And you, you know he's got to be exhausted. He, he was in flesh. He had a human body. You know he's exhausted. But you know what he's exhausted for? Time alone with his father. More than sleep. And I tell you, that hurts because i got young kids and we don't sleep much, you know. More than sleep, he wanted time with his father. Jesus is the authority, but he also knows he's dependent upon his relationship with his father. And for one, that, that makes Jesus all the more attractive. This is not some loose canon of authority just going around blazing a trail wherever he wants, you know. He's in a relationship and perfectly in line with the will of God our Father. But it also tells us something really important. If Jesus, the perfect Son of God, had to spend time alone with the Father, what does that say about us? What does that say if we are exhausted, if we are weary, if we are burdened by this year and all that it's brought us? We, 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 we probably run around saying, Life would be better if, 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 right? We got our list. This, this will make life better. Here's Jesus, exhausted, and spending time with his Father. After Jesus' time alone, he, he knows it's time for him to move on, to go to other towns. This ministry that he has isn't just about gathering big crowds and performing lots of miracles. He has a mission. And he tells Simon Peter, just that. He says in verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. He's following the Father's will and he knew the Father's will through prayer. And as he's leaving, as he's going, there's one more healing that happens that I think is important to include here this morning. He's approached by a leper. And this leper, you, you know, you may have heard of this disease. Leprosy was a, a term for all kinds of skin diseases, but it was just all this category of people who were outcast because of that disease. You, you couldn't be a part of town. You couldn't come to the temple because you were contagious and considered unclean. And so somehow this leper finds a way to catch Jesus as he's traveling and he just throws him down as himself down at Jesus' feet and he begs for healing. Everyone else would have, would have run away from him. Don't get close to me. You're going to make me unclean. I don't want to be near you. They just said, get away. Verse 40, the leper says, if you will, speaking of Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. 
And verse 41, it says, Moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him, this unclean man, and said, I will be clean. This is a remarkable picture of Jesus who has the authority to heal because he uses his authority with compassion. He uses his authority with compassion. It's the word, the word translated here in the ESV is pity. It's the same word we saw a few weeks ago if you were here when we did the Good Samaritan parable. And that word for pity or compassion, it's used only in, in the New Testament to either directly describing Jesus or in Jesus' parables and teachings about another character who is representing God in the story. This is God's nature. He is a God of compassion. And that word from compassion is this word describing being moved to your gut. It's like you get this gut-wrenching feeling of love and concern and affection for somebody who's in trouble and needs help. That's how Jesus saw us and how He sees us in our need. He has all authority. He can do whatever He wants, and yet He sees this man who is dirty by society's standards, and He says, I feel compassion, pity, love for this person. I hope you're getting a sense as, as Mark has moved us from one miracle, one story after another, that we're supposed to go, whoa, wow, oh, uh, the whole town, another one, a leper? Oh my goodness, this is incredible. There's nobody like this. There's nobody like this. You will not find somebody else who matches this Jesus anywhere else. There is one and only Savior. His name is Jesus. I, I hope that today you hear that Jesus wants you to follow Him. He, he calls us by grace and invites us to follow Him. And if, if you are there today, if you, if you hear that call, I want you to hear one more thing about answering that call. If we're going to follow Him, you've you got to do this. Trust Jesus to lead His way, not ours. Trust Jesus to lead His way, not ours. I, I want you to see a couple times in these passages, things didn't go quite like we expected. The crowd's gathered in Capernaum, right? The night before, there's a, a huge crowd that shows up at, at dark. You know, what, you know what I'd have planned the next day? Let's do another church service that night, right? And that time, we're going to pass a plate, right? We'll take an offering. We can build a building. We can have multiple services. People will come from all over the world to meet this healer and this teacher. Nobody teaches like him. We, Jesus, you just you stay right there. We'll take care of it. We can build something bigger and greater. And we'll do it our way. You just, you just show up and do your thing at 2, 4, and 6 o'clock, please. You know? we, can, we can organize it. We can get it going. What, what, what's going on there? And then another time, because oh, that was his, his fame is spreading. You know? But then another time, uh, Jesus heals the leper and says something very weird. This shows up in Mark multiple times. And if you read Mark on your own, this is something you'll scratch your head about. Verse 43, 44. And Jesus sternly charged him, this leper, he just healed. This man who has not been able to go live in normal society for a long time. Jesus tells him this. He sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. Yeah, right, right? This leper who hasn't been able to talk to anybody. And Jesus says, hey, shh, shh, shh just between me and you, okay? What in the world is Jesus doing? Isn't he, isn't he trying to reach? He just said they were going to make fishers of men. Are they supposed to be reaching all these people? Yes, but not yet. Not yet. You see, when Jesus starts doing these miracles, when the crowd starts to gather, 
there's enough going on in their minds that they, they have a little bit of an idea. This is, we knew there was a Messiah coming, right? This king, this one who has rule and he's in charge of everything. I, I think this is the guy. And the more the fame grows, the more the story starts to spread and people kind of make Jesus into who they want them to be, right? He becomes a, a healer, just a good teacher. He becomes, what they, they start to describe Jesus how they want to describe him. And their anticipation of what they expect the Messiah to be like becomes the story. And Jesus knows they, they don't fully understand who the Messiah is supposed to be. Their idea of a Messiah would have nothing to do with a cross. Their idea of a Messiah was somebody who could come and make Rome go away. That they could have charge and do things the way they want. And we can be in charge again. But the people didn't have the right idea. Jesus knew His mission was different. And it would have everything to do with the cross. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. And the reason He could proclaim that at the beginning of His ministry is He knew that where, where He was going at the end of His life. And that was to a cross. You see, the people, our deepest need, and the people there in Capernaum, our deepest need isn't just for our, 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 our sickness, our fever to go away. Our biggest need isn't just for a pandemic to go away. We have a spiritual need that can only be met by the perfect Lamb of God who gave His life and laid it down so that our sins could be paid for and we could live with Him forever. This leper who was out in the outside country, you know, he couldn't come in. Jesus comes and He touches him. And that was so bizarre because in every other situation before that moment, if an unclean person comes up to a clean person and they touch, you know who transfers? The, un the clean person now becomes unclean, right? The unclean spreads to the clean. But did you see what happened here? It went the other way. The clean one made the unclean one clean. You got that? You know the only way that could happen? You see what happened just after this? Of course, the leper doesn't keep his job. His his portion of the bargain, right? He goes and tells everybody, you know, just like us. We just, you know, couldn't keep a secret. But you know what happens after that? The leper, where does he go? He gets to go into town. You know where Jesus has to go? He has to go out to the desolate place. He can't be in town anymore. They swap places. The leper gets to come into the town because Jesus was kicked out of it. You and I get to come in to be with the Father. Because Jesus was, being, was willing to be forsaken by the Father. He was willing to be sent outside the town and crucified on the cross so that we could come near to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Being a follower of Jesus, being called to Him, is a, an act of pure grace. It is a gift that God has given you because Jesus went to the cross in our place. That's the good news. Following Him will cost you everything. It is worth your whole life, but you can't earn it. It's purely a gift. It is a gift, a gracious, free gift from the Lord. And it's worth everything. It's the greatest treasure. So today, drop everything. I promise He is worth it. He is worth following because He has authority over everything and everyone. And you'll never find anything better than Him. Drop everything to follow Jesus. Today, 
like those first disciples, you and I are called to follow and to be fishers of men. You may have somebody in this room that you need to go fishing for. Or you may have somebody at home that you need to go fishing for. Or a, a friend you need to go fishing for. Maybe you already know Jesus and, and you need to tell somebody else about Jesus. You need to be a fisher of men. Jesus was quoting that from Jeremiah 16, I learned this week, when the people were scattered abroad. And Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, I'm going I'm to send you out like fishers and you're going to go catch them. I love that. Go catch them. Or maybe you are one of those fish who needs to be caught. You need to hear that call today to repent, to drop everything and follow Him. I pray that you respond to the Lord today. Let's pray. God, we desperately need You because You alone can save us. God, we admit that we want to go our own way. We want to follow our own path. But Jesus is offering something so much better. God, our hands are gripped so firmly around nets, around sin, around good things, bad things, and it's so hard for us to let it go. Oh, but Father, if you could send your son in the womb of a woman to live a perfect life and die for us, then you can peel our fingers off our nets. So God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, May we be fishers of men who point others to you. And may we drop our nets and follow you. As the band begins to play, I want to ask you, we've been talking about this for some time now. Can you be honest about something you got to drop if you're going to follow Jesus? Can you be honest about something you're holding on to that you haven't let go of. Maybe you need to grab a friend next to you. Maybe they can be your fisher of men. Maybe you want to come to the altar or just kneel in your seat. Maybe you need to lay something down. Say, Jesus, I've been trying to follow you while dragging a net behind me and it's not working. It's not working. Confess that before the Lord today. Can you say, Jesus, I'm leaving it all. And I need you every step of the way. I invite you to come. I'm here if you want to pray. The altar's open. I pray that you respond today. You've heard the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins. So that all who believe in him one day have life like he resurrected to new life. And I pray that each and every one of us will respond to that gospel today. Lord, come and move in our hearts as only you can in Jesus' name.